the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie that's amore when the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine that's amore for the judges and this multi-millionaire mogul now has the best kind of goal. It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for an athlete interview episode. A week away from the athlete interviews and we're straight back into them with a very interesting, honest and exciting interview today with Australian alpine skier Maddie Hoffman. Now Maddie has a pretty incredible story to tell in regards to her skiing career. Grew up in the northern beaches of Australia, ended up in Singapore before moving to Utah. All skiing hotspots, of course, at least one of them is, to pursue her passion of skiing. A passion that led her all the way to the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. Now, all was looking good for Maddie. She was on track to qualify. She got the qualification email. You are going to the Olympics. There was celebration. Everything was coming up, Maddie. And then within 24 hours, she was no longer going to the Olympics. She tore her ACL the very next day in an event after being confirmed for the Olympics. This all happened within 10 days of the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics, going from qualifying to not being able to go within 24 hours. It's an incredible story that a lot of people obviously sympathize with Maddie in the lead up to those Olympics. And Maddie is going to tell the story about everything that happened. And it's actually even more incredible than you think. There's a whole lot more to it than simply qualifying, then not qualifying. There was a whole bunch of other stuff going on beforehand that led to this injury that, as you will hear Maddie say, almost came as a relief. It's really incredible to hear her tell her story and be so open and honest about that moment. She also goes into detail about how her skiing journey took her from the northern beaches in Sydney to Singapore all the way to Utah, her passions outside of the sport and where that may lead to her in the future, as well as just why being an Australian helps her ski. How on the start line, her thought process of I'm an Australian helps her perform better. It's a great insight into her psyche and her mentality on top of the hill. You're going to get a lot of insight into this chat. It's a great one. Sit back, relax, and listen to our chat with Australian alpine skier, Maddie Hoffman. (laughs) 
Obviously, we're getting to the very pointy end of 2023, and we're going to transition into 2024, a Summer Olympics year. But that doesn't mean that we still can't talk about the Winter Olympics, because you know how much we love the Winter Olympics here on Off the Podium. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to our guest today. I'm calling her an Olympian. There's a technicality there, but we'll get to that. I'm still calling her an Olympian. Outside of her being an Olympian, a steam career already in the sport of alpine skiing, an eight-time Australian national team member, a NORAM winner earlier this year, as well as achieving three podium results outside of that in the NORAMs, Division One NCAA individual slalom and giant slalom champion in 2023, as well as a variety of other great esteemed events that she has competed in, as well as a history-making uh, result that she achieved only very recently, which we will touch on. It's a pleasure to welcome off the podium, Maddie Hoffman. Maddie, first of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here on Off the Podium today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here and have a chat. I'm, I'm excited to have a chat with you and, and go over some of these amazing results. Can I just, first of all, I want to commend you on your website. I do love it when we have a guest on our show who has a very good website, which makes my job a lot easier when I can just find all the information in one place. So first of all, thank you. Great website. Thanks. Yeah, I did that this summer when I was looking at some, trying to get some sponsorship stuff. So I put it together, but it's actually kind of fun to do too. MaddieHoffman.com, by the way, if people want to check it out. Does it, does it work? Yeah. Like, I mean, is it sort of makes it very, I guess, streamlined and easy. And then do you sort of get the sponsors kind of asking you, you know, how much do you want us to give you basically straight away? Cause it's so um, easy. Yeah. It's kind of something that I don't know. No one ever like comes to me off of my website. Um, it's like when I reach out to brands or people, I like attach that to just basically say if they want more information. So an email I'm sending them isn't paragraphs long. It can be kind of short. And then if they want, if they're interested, then they can go find more info somewhere that's like all in one place. It does the job very well. So uh, <laughs> sponsors, please sponsor it. It's fantastic. It helps podcast hosts as well. So that's uh Always a positive as well. Always love finding out, obviously, for all our guests on the show, how they get involved in the sport that they are competing in. But you're from the northern beaches of Sydney, if I'm not mistaken. So how does somebody from the northern beaches of Sydney end up on ski slopes? It doesn't really come together that well that way. No, I know. It's, it's definitely kind of random. But I guess I grew up skiing. I don't know. We would go down to the snow maybe a couple of weeks a year, not even. Um, me and my family have three younger brothers, so it's a bit of a family affair. And then when I was in year three, I moved primary schools and the primary school that we moved to, they had an inter-schools team, which is basically where you can just go compete for your school, like during the school holidays. And they like made an announcement at like the morning assembly, like, oh, if anyone skis, like come pick up this flyer type of thing and bring it home to your parents. So I brought it home to mom and dad and we just moved schools and trying to find some friends. And that's how we like, I could do it. So we, um, yeah, I joined into schools and met some really good friends and their parents actually used to ski race for Australia. So they kind of took us under their wing and I guess the rest is kind of history from there. Yeah, We just kept going to the snow and then we would go overseas and started off with two weeks in America. Then it was four, then it was six weeks and it was like three months and then it was the entire season. And yeah, we just kind of kept going back and forth and yeah, never really turned back <laughs> yeah it's uh, incredible to kind of uh have that that journey with that and i always love finding out from skiers because there's obviously 
three main disciplines you look at when it comes to skiing, freestyle, uh, alpine and Nordic. Is it a case, and I generally find most Australians, it's usually the same answer, but like, is it a case of just that racing you started, did you try sort of your hand at things like Nordic or freestyle and just stuck with alpine because that was the one you liked the best? Yeah, well, so when I was younger, kind of doing the inter-schools things, at some one point I was racing in the Nordic events, the mogul events and the snowboarding events. So like the border cross and the um, snowboard GS. And then I broke my elbow skiing, I mean, snowboarding. And so at that point I was kind of getting to a point where I needed to pick and I broke my elbow and then I couldn't, I was like, okay, no more snowboarding. I haven't <laughs> broken a bone yet in skiing. So uh, um, yeah, then I just picked skiing out of all of them. So makes it simple then when you don't break a bone in one that's that's yeah. kind of the other way i i was reading though you tried your hand at some other sports you actually had a dream of playing for the matildas so you had a uh-huh. bit of a, a soccer uh passion as well was that kind of uh juggling them both at a young age yes when i i guess mom and dad always said they put me in soccer when i was like four or something because netball didn't start until five so my dad played soccer growing up and mom played netball um and yeah, so they put me in soccer. I think when you have, I don't know, they had four kids all two years apart. So I think they were just trying to find something for us to do. And yeah, I played on, there wasn't a girls team until you're about 10 or 11 or something. So I was playing with the boys for a long time and there'd be many weekends where we would have six soccer games on a Saturday and then I would go play with the girls team on a Sunday. And wow, yeah, that was actually pretty hard to juggle. And I remember, I think that was the one time I had to pick between or like I can vividly remember picking skiing over something else was because our like, I guess, whatever championship game in soccer was on the same weekend as our like state skiing event. And they're like, you have to pick which one you want to do. And I picked skiing. So one that was like the only vivid remember. I mean, like the specific thing where I can be like, I pick skiing over something else. It's kind of like one of those sliding door moments though, where it's like a what yeah. if, like, I mean, what if you had a chosen soccer that weekend? Could we be talking about you being a Matildas player right now? Who knows? Never know. Maybe in a past life, I'll come back as a soccer player. Yeah. Oh, well, you've still got time. You're or still young, right? Life, I mean. like, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you never know with that. It's, it's also, I guess, crazy to sort of read just sort of, you're talking about traveling the world and everything about, then your family moves to the US to sort of help with yours and your brother's careers. I mean, what's that like to be able to have your parents who I guess are willing to do that to kind of help pursue that for you growing up? Yeah. So, well, before we moved to the US, we actually uh, lived in Singapore for three years. So I left, we left Australia. I don't know what year it was, but I was in year five, Um, maybe 20 10 maybe Gee, um and then feel we feel yeah. maddie when you say that yeah i don't know five. i don't even know what year that was <laughs> but uh yeah we moved to singapore for three years so at that when we were living in singapore we were kind of doing back-to-back winters so we'd go to the states for a winter and then we would go to australia for their winter and so i'd only really be in school from term two and term four um and that got really hard in terms of like just like friendships and i was at an international school in singapore so or every time I would come back, like someone of one of my friends, like their family had moved back to Australia or moved somewhere else. So it was very like transient kind of lifestyle. And it was really, really hot. And so we, it was hard to like do stuff outside. And I don't think my parents necessarily loved that. And we had kind of fallen in love with Park City in Utah. Um, and they're like, okay, let's go do something else and see something new. And 
yeah, we packed it up and moved to the States and now I've been there for nearly 10 years, which is kind of crazy, but yeah, it's, it's very nice to have. I don't know if I could have done it without like my family moving. I never was like, I need you guys to move with me. It was very much like they, mom and dad wanted to move and us skiing was like a byproduct of that. Um, but it's very nice having everyone kind of close by. Can't imagine there's many ski mountains close to Singapore. There's a bit of travel involved there, really. Uh. Yeah, no, mountains. Maybe if you go to Dubai and ski inside, but True. yeah, mountains. Yeah, no, yeah, not too far. Do your brothers also ski or did they ski sort of at the time and do they still ski? Yeah, uh, yeah, all my brothers actually, they still compete. So one of them is competing at university in America as well. Um, the next one is... He just graduated high school last year, so he's having a bit of a gap year skiing. And then the youngest one is in year 11, and he's ski- he's at a ski academy in Utah. So Wow. So yeah. we could be having the, the, the multi-generational Hoffman family over the uh, coming years. Yep. There are lots of us. <laughs> that's that's crazy. And does it is it a case of are you all sort of alpine and then are you all slalom, giant slalom, or do you sort of uh, all alternate, or is it kind of just we, the family business yeah. is slalom and giant slalom? <laughs> I think if someone wanted to do anything else, they'd be like everyone would support them to do if they didn't want to ski and do other sports or if they want to be do speed or, but we've kind of just all stuck with Solomon GS. And I think, yeah, I wouldn't even say it's that like competitive among the four of us. Yeah. Like we all kind of joke around like siblings do, but at the end of the day, we're actually all just like hoping the best. So, but yeah, everyone does stick with Solomon GS, but I think, that makes mom a bit happier knowing that we're not all just speeding down a mountain <laughs> doing speed and nearly dying all the time, but no, it's all good. There, there are always some sports that just always fascinate me why people choose them. And slalom's one of them because, you know, I see with say a downhill, it's fast, it's adrenaline, you know, and, and not to say that slalom mm-hmm. isn't fast, but you're literally banging into giant poles. Uh, I have mm-hmm. vivid memories as an 11-year-old watching Zali Stegel win that bronze in Nagano to age me and learning about slalom for the very first time as a kid and seeing the equipment and seeing all the kind of just the the, uh, the weirdness that it is of a sport for somebody from a country where we don't often see snow-based sports. But what was it about slalom and then giant slalom that appealed to you over, say, a downhill? I think that I guess when you're younger, you just do a lot more slalom and GS than you do speed events. Um, and I think what's drawn me towards the more technical disciplines now is there's something very satisfying. And I'm sure that people can say the same about speed, um, but there's something very satisfying with making like a really good slalom or GS turn. And I think right now, like I have a little bit too much. I think I'd have too much fear to do the speed events. Like you kind of have to just send yourself down a mountain really, really fast. Um, And yeah, I don't, I really enjoy the tech disciplines. I think part of it's because you go a little bit slower. (laughs) And like (laughs) as much as I like to go fast, I think doing the speed events is, that's just a completely different ball game. It's, um, yeah, that's crazy, and I have so much respect for those people. But yeah, the slalom and GS is my, more my cup of tea, and yeah, hitting the gates and slalom it doesn't hurt, so that's good. Unless you miss your like your arm guards or your shin guards, which that sometimes can give you a sting. But apart from that, it's it's kind of satisfying just like hearing the sound of the plastic and just going down the mountain. <laughs> I was gonna say stress relief too, because it's like a boxing mm-hmm. motion when you're going into yeah. them, isn't it? 
Yeah, and when you make a mistake and if you blow out and then you ski out, you can just give it a little punch and then you're like, okay, moving on. <laughs> not, not many sports where if you do stuff up, you're allowed to kind of physically assault something without getting sort of a yeah. penalty, right? So Yeah, exactly. Not, not too bad with that. Did you harbour Olympic aspirations from a young age? Was this something that when you started in the sport, you're like, right, this is it, Olympics, this is where I want to be? Yeah, I maybe not necessarily at the start of the sport, but I don't know, when I was like a 11 or 12, um, I remember sitting down with my coaches and they like, you do like goal setting or whatever at the beginning of the season. And it's like, what's your like season goals? What's your like 10 year goals? What's your like big, like big, scary goal? Like, and I remember putting Olympics down, but I, the only reason I vividly remember putting it down then is because I spelt it wrong. <laughs> um, how, how did you, how did you spell it? I, I don't even know, but I was like, they're like, that's not how you do it. I was like, got it. I should figure that out before I say that. <laughs> First goal, learn um, how to spell Olympics. <laughs> learn how to spell Olympics. Second goal, try and make it there. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, so for a while, it's kind of been in the back of my head. It's one of those things that uh, in our sort of closing questions, if we'll get to, there's often one of the, the questions is, what was the first Olympics you remember watching, which always makes me feel very old. You say you're about 11, 12 when you do that. So that would have been what, just after Vang? Vancouver heading into yeah. Sochi would that be around that period yeah I think the first I the first Olympics I remember watching was Britt Cox in Vancouver when she was skiing the muggles what 15 16 remember, there wasn't she very young Brit yeah I remember <laughs> yeah we were like in our living room in Australia watching it so wow we had obviously hadn't been doing full American seasons then in 2010 because I was in Sydney watching that and they're usually in February but yeah Jeez. I remember watching it that, uh, again, yeah. ages me to be able to say that, uh, you know, I was 11 when Zali Stegel won that bronze and you were what, minus two. So, um, <laughs> you know, which uh, obviously we'll, we'll touch on. I mean, Z- Z- Queen Zali, as we call her on this show, we're, we're very obviously big uh, Zali fanboys here and off the podium. W- what's the, the system like in high school when it comes to skiing? Obviously, we'll touch on university in the US, but compared to what you were used to, in New South Wales, going to Threadbow, things like that, was did you sort of get to Utah and go, whoa, okay, slightly different? I mean, kind of was it a bit of an eye-opener compared to Australia? Yeah, it's like um, I guess the big thing that stood out to me was, and like I never went to high school in Australia, um, but I had a lot of friends, obviously, that were still in high school in Australia and still skiing. And the big thing that like separated it apart from the fact that like when I was in skiing in high school in America, we would go to school with regular kids. Like our school was set up a little uniquely compared to other ski academies that are just ski races. And then you go to school where the school I went to, the school was maybe 300 kids from year nine to 12. And there was 30 of us on the ski academy. So we would just slot into regular classes. Like I could be sitting in math without next to someone who doesn't even know what skiing is, which was really nice to have that like normalness, I guess you could say. And yeah, we went to school normally for, they broke it up into three semesters in a year. So the first and third, we would go as normal students, like eight to three or whatever it was. And then in the winter, we would just have our core classes. So we'd have four core classes that would rotate in the morning and for everyone, but they would just rotate in the morning and then we would ski in the afternoon wow. so we would have to over our entire high school career would have to take maybe i think i took two history classes online over a summer wow. but apart from that, it was like a normal kid um so that was really it was actually quite easy and 
I still think to this day, my days in high school were way harder than uni in terms of juggling the time and all of the stuff, just because we would go to I'd work out before school, go to school from eight to three. We would have workout after school. I wouldn't get home until five forty-five, six. I'd have to study and like, it was crazy. I think it, and I'm like, Manny, I'm tired now when I go to class for like two hours a day, this is so bad, but like, it was nuts what we did, but when you're young, you can do anything, I guess. Um, crazy. Wow. But yeah, it was kind of just like skiing slotted into normal life where I feel like my friends that were trying to ski in Australia, once you got to, you know, trying to do your HSC, I think that's, that's what it's still called, but mm-hmm. yeah. Like year 11 and 12, like you couldn't, you couldn't miss school. You couldn't, you couldn't go away. You had to, it was just like, once you got to that point, school kind of had to go above skiing. That's um, crazy. That's, and that's five days yeah. a week, essentially that you're, that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's incredible. Which, and, I mean, we would, and we would ski on the weekends too. So. Well, I guess at the end of the day though, that that's, you can reflect to that and that's obviously helped you throughout your career because I guess it sets a, a mentality of, of training, hard work, discipline, all that kind of things that you're using no doubt today in your, in your skiing career and sort of really built you into the athlete that who you are today and keeps improving on that. Yeah. And I actually think like when I look back at like high school, even though it's like hard, um, the skills I learned with communicating and being proactive in terms of like, like if I knew I had an exam coming up or a test coming up and we were going to be on the road, like I had to be like, I had to reach out to my teachers beforehand. We had to like, I had to be very much like in charge of not letting things like I had to be in charge of my, I guess, commitments in terms of school. And so those skills of like advocating for myself with teachers have like paid dividends now. Cause like when I have to reach out to my professors at university, like I have all those skills and I'm very much on top of my work to be able, like where they can't say no for me to be gone kind of thing. Mm. Well, what's that like just from normal teenage life perspective and then also growing up in a foreign country? I mean, I, there's, a, there's a quote that you've got on your website, which I love around about your nationality, which I want to touch on. But I mean, obviously for you, you've spent a large portion of those formative years growing up in the US, being surrounded by Americans, no doubt, which... I'm sure in itself is a lot of fun, but like, I mean, is there a part of you that gets homesick and sort of misses maybe some Australian things that perhaps you didn't get to experience during those years? Yeah, I definitely, it's funny you ask because for so long when I was, I think kind of like in high school, or maybe the first five years or so we lived in the US, I was like, I don't see myself ever going back to Australia. Like all my friends are here and all my family's here and it's great. Like I, like I don't, apart from like my extended family, like, and a couple friends and I still have in Sydney. Like I don't really have any like connection to it, but then as time went on, I was like, mm, no, I think I'm going to go back. I really feel like I need to go back to Australia. Um, and I really want to go back. It's, it's a very special place. And I think the more I travel the world, the more I kind of realize that like whenever I'm anywhere and I hear an Australian accent, I'm like, Oh, that's so refreshing. Like that makes me feel like home again. Um, so yeah, there was definitely, definitely some things about America that I've loved, but yeah, I see myself coming back to Australia. There's nothing like the beaches and the food and the people. So well, I was going to ask, what's the one thing you miss about Australia the most? I think I would say it's the lifestyle. Um, 
because that in, that kind of incorporates you know the the food mm-hmm. the scenery or like the activities the beaches the just like kind of activeness like i this is such a weird thing to like point at but I feel like whenever I'm in Australia, I can like walk to the shops and like go to the grocery store and I don't have to drive necessarily everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of unique. Like in America, every, like you want to leave the house, you have to drive Yeah, or at least what we are. So it's like something as simple as just being able to go for a walk and get your morning coffee. It's like, oh, that's so nice. And proper simple coffee life. too. No disrespect yeah, to our American coffee. friends, but proper coffee, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, oh, the coffee. Yeah. Drip, have you, okay. Are you used to drip coffee? Is that just, you know, you just got used to it after a while? <laughs> I don't indulge in the drip coffee. My parents were, my mom especially, when we moved to America, my mom's owned restaurants and cafes her entire life. So she hated the food scene in Park City. So she built her own um, Australian cafe. So wow. I'll drink coffee at home. But apart from that, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I do. It's, it is a very interesting thing, like uh, having myself lived in the US and North America and just sometimes I found I just I had really no choice but to go that direction. But then I love it in certain parts where you do have those Australian cafes, which obviously mm-hmm. you go, ah, oh, okay, here we go, here we go. Is there food? Like what particular food in Australia do you miss the most? Um, I think... I don't really know how to describe it. I was actually talking to my coaches because we trained in New Zealand this summer. So we overnighted in Sydney on the way home and we went out and got like really yummy Asian food. Mm. And I was like, I, you don't realize how much Asian fusion or just like Asian food there is in Australia and how much that we actually eat it. Like yeah. I don't really. And it's and different, isn't it? Because so Americans yeah. do it different. And like, like little things like dim sims are like the most yes. random thing that I miss when I'm overseas because you can't get yeah. an Australian dim sim overseas, no. can you? Or like even just like going to Yamcha or yes. like getting pie or oh. uh, it's just good. It's yeah. just good food. Yeah. Um. So I think, yeah, that's what I miss is, yeah, when we're in the States, there are a few places that have like okay food, but if we want yummy meal, we like ask our mom to cook it. Or we cook <laughs> because she cooks it better. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you because you say on your website that you enjoy cooking yummy food. So is that yeah. where it is? Is that like the, the Asian fusion and that sort of food that you enjoy cooking? Yeah, I definitely, yeah, there's definitely some, yeah, I like cooking that kind of food. It's like, it's simple, but always yum. So. Because I always find that, you know, a lot of Australians you talk to overseas, oh, I miss Tim Tams, I miss Shapes. Like you often will say like, oh, I'm traveling and bring them. But I mean, you can buy them there now. So they're not really that special. It's those things that you can't mm. get there, isn't it, which you really miss. Yeah. Meat pie. Yeah. Like are you a meat pie fan? I'm definitely the – I definitely do love a good meat pie. I think I'm more of a sausage roll kind of girl, oh, but yes. I do love a good meat pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sausage but, roll. I'm there. Yeah, I'm with you. With that. Yeah. The, I, I do like, though, sort of mentioning on your website about you say here in your lessons learned, number two, you've got here, as an Australian, I often draw inspiration from my nationality when standing in the start gate. I, I'd love you to explain that. Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so ski racing is very European sport. There's... It's, it's, yeah, there's not many people that aren't from like Central Europe. You've got Canadian, uh, the Canadians and the Americans, but then it's yeah very much heavily European dominated. And it's quite easy to feel intimidated by that because they have so many resources. There's so many of them just to begin with, like, like there's just as many staff with the athletes that they have. And it can be quite like, like, oh, 
can I really compete? It's just me and like my like my coach and my tech. Like these people have ample coaches and physios and strength trainers and anywhere they go, they can get whatever they want. And it's kind of like a weirdly higher hierarchical, like there's very much a hierarchy within it. Like you get better training if you're like the better you are, the better training you get. If you're not as good, then you like fall down the line of like where you can train and all this stuff. Um, but in terms of like when I'm in the start gate, I, it's like, I very vividly remember when I was like a U14 and it was like the first kind of, it was the first time I did well at like the international stage at, in a race in Canada. And I remember standing in the start gate being like, like show them that Aussies can ski because everyone would be like Australian, like you're Australian, like you can ski, like there's snow there, like blah, 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 blah. And so I often like kind of channel that being like, no, like you can like go show them that like you can actually do something and like, don't count me out just because I'm Australian. Like I ski just as, you know what I mean? So that's where I kind of draw that inspiration. The Aussie battler mentality kind of. Yeah. I feel like there's a very much underdog mentality within Australians and sport. Um, And so that's what I like to channel when I'm in the Starcade. I love love hearing it so much because I think that the most fascinating thing I find with speaking to guests on this show from your non-traditional countries with certain sports is that element. And it's obviously for Australians, it's mainly winter sports. We will say we have a lot of Canadians on this show, say from summer sports for them, where maybe it's the opposite for Mm -hmm. them. And it's just, it is that mentality because going back to sort of your high school years and your schedules and sort of how hard you're working, but there's always that element of working harder sometimes from where you're from to show people what you're made of and show how good Mm -hmm. you can be, which again, I'm sure helps you out and makes you perform stronger and go towards stronger results. Yeah. And it's funny because people, I guess, because I've lived in the States for so long, everyone I think kind of assumes now that I have like an American citizenship or something. They're like, why don't you race for America? I'm like, I, don't have a passport i don't get it like why are you asking that question They're like oh like would you if you could i was like no like i'm i'm not american or like i'm not any like because there, you know some people you could there are loopholes where you can switch your nationality if you want to if there's and i was like i'm no nah, i'm good i'll stick with my australian flag i like it so <laughs> well uh, we, 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 i mean a different form of skiing but uh, i just will pay mention to the one great person who did that came to australia dale Berg smith of course won us an olympic yes. gold medal and an olympic silver medal mm-hmm. so when that works yeah. for us we, we, we're glad with yeah, that, but exactly. we don't want to lose you to them <laughs> to america maddie so you know yeah no don't worry i'm not going anywhere <laughs> which obviously we're going to touch on beijing in just a moment but in that period obviously around 2016 there would have been a youth olympics were youth olympics ever a possibility for you in in that period yeah um i so youth olympics is every four years and only two year births are eligible for it like and i just fell in the offs the year the right. off year births Ah, but I could never go. Yeah. Damn. Wow. Yeah. I didn't so realize how like that strict year. with it. I thought there might be like a leeway kind of there. Yeah, no. So it was like the ones, I can't remember where they were, but the ones before were like the 99 and 98 year birth. Mm-hmm. And then there was some in Lausanne a couple of years ago. Yep. And they were the 2002, 2003 year birth. And so my younger brother, he went to that because, but the 2000s and the 2001s, they completely... Just, like you couldn't go. They and just then completely the, exclude you. Wow. Yeah. So that's crazy. I, I again, I thought there would always kind of be like a a leeway there, like because that doesn't seem fair. No, but you know that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> how did you, how did your brother go at the at the youth Olympics? Um, he did. 
I think it was like his biggest event he's ever done. So there was definitely some learning experiences, but he showed some really, really good skiing. He unfortunately had a cracking first run of GS and then his skis were like 0.05 of a millimeter over the, uh, I guess the range that they can be in just basically the screws weren't screwed down as tightly as they could have been. And then he, so he got disqualified. Damn. Um, but like half of a millimeter, are you serious? I don't even know if I can see half a millimeter. Yeah, it is crazy, <laughs> the technicalities when it comes to some of these things, isn't it? And yeah. how like you yeah. can even have a ruler that can measure that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and like, that's unfortunately like the little things like that, that's not necessarily <clears throat> the price you pay for being an Australian, but a lot of that falls on our own shoulders and when you're thinking about skiing and you have school to do and you're traveling and you're training and you have to do your skis and like sometimes things slip through the cracks. And so that was one of them. And it was a less like a learning lesson for like nearly everyone and like everyone kind of around that like, okay, no, that's something you should, we, you need to like triple check it. Cause like, that's really unfortunate if you get DQ'd because of that. <laughs> I, I mean, we've, we've talked to many athletes in sports where, that is a very like ski jumping, for example. I know sort of how strict they are around suits and everything along those lines. And that like, does that mm-hmm. weigh on your mind much? Because I feel that is sometimes out of your control. Because I'm sure you do go to your lengths to make sure everything is legal and fine. But then somehow something like that again, as you say, half a millimeter. How can you measure that? How can that happen? Like, does it weigh on your mind? Yeah, I think if you want it to, it really can. Um, like luckily when it comes to like suits and all of that kind of stuff, we get them approved. So like, I never have to worry about my suit being illegal when it comes to like equipment they have at like the big events, they have equipment testing the day or two before. And so when you set them up, you hope that you've, you've not hope you've set them up legally. Sometimes things change or whatever, but you can always double check it. Um, and so now it's just like, no matter what, like go and just double check. Cause that would be a really tough pill to swallow. If you get to the bottom, you've had a good run and mm. then your de- is your boot is a millimeter over or your binding is, you know what I mean? Like something yeah. like that. And luckily for me now, like I have a technician, so I have someone that basically takes care of all my equipment. So I don't have to worry about that. It falls on his shoulders. So he takes <laughs> stuff and he makes sure they're good and he gives it back to me. And so that's really nice. But if you get disqualified, um, you know, he's fine. You get someone else. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, that's your fault. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> but so far, yeah. We haven't had any issues. So that's been good. Touch with it. That, that continues. Yeah, knock before, on some wood. Before again, we get to Beijing 2019 junior world champs. You rupture your patella tendon, nine-month rehabilitation. Now, going into that, sort of how were you feeling tracking? Obviously, I'm sure Beijing was the goal. And how did that affect what ultimately would lead to a successful qualification for Beijing? But, uh, you know, take us through sort of that nine-month period and that injury. Yeah, well, so that year, that was my first year out of high school. And so... I was training with like this small private team. It was me and three or four girls from all of us were from a different national, like different nation. So we came together and created this like, I guess, international team. Um, and it worked out really great because none of us were directly competing against each other. We were all just hoping for everyone to do well kind of thing. Um, and when I tore my patella at the World Juniors, I had been dealing with some tendonitis pain for actually quite a few years leading up to that. 
And never once did I actually think it would rupture because it's like a pretty big thing, big tendon. Um, but I, yeah, it was once I had crashed and went down in the sled, I go to this janky little Italian hospital and they take x-rays and they check out my knee. And I remember vividly, my parents actually came and watched. So luckily mom and dad were there when this is all going down. But this guy in like extremely broken English was like, when you go home, you need MRI. I was like, okay. He's like, your ACL fine. I don't know what's wrong with you though. And I was like, what? Like, how does a doctor not know what's wrong with me? Like, that's so random. Yeah. And then luckily, like, cause I had been in around all of the Americans for so long and my coaches knew all the American coaches. I was able to go see the American physio that night. And they were like, yeah, no, I think your tendons ruptured. And it's pretty easy actually to tell that a patella tendon is ruptured because you take an x-ray and your kneecap is up your quad, like your femur, it's like shifted up. Like it, there's nothing holding it down onto your tibia. Um, and so, and luckily for me, I was actually in zero pain. Like I couldn't bend my leg. It had to stay straight until I had surgery, but I didn't have any pain. So it was, I was like, okay. And ski racing is not a sport of if you get hurt, it's a matter of when you get hurt. And mm. so when I got hurt then I was like, oh, hey, this is my time. Like I'm doing my time. And uh, I had no idea. I'd never had a knee surgery before. So I thought like once I had the surgery and post-op that it was all of them were that painful and that difficult. And like, I just remember being in so much pain after surgery, but I thought that was normal. I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of a kicker. Like no wonder everyone talks about not wanting to like sucks. Um, but I kind of just use it as like a time to find new hobbies and like a little bit like step away from the sport in a way. And yeah, I, like yeah kind of found myself and i really started to develop an identity outside of skiing which proved very like positive because ski racing can be taken away from me very quickly mm. um but yeah i i don't even think i was thinking about beijing in that moment because it was still two or three years away and i was just like okay going like i'm just going to rehab this as best as i can and no idea how it'll turn out on the other side and Luckily for me, it was a really positive experience and I came back and had my best ever results, like the first race back and all the nagging pain I had leading up to that. I now lo no longer had to deal with that. Like the surgery kind of fixed the pain that I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So overall, it was actually, I don't think if that injury is like the worst thing to have happened to me. I don't think any of mine are, but yeah, I wasn't. It just was like another step in the journey. My sports psych told me it was a chapter in my book. So, well, I, I love hearing that and how helpful a sports psych could be because I also always love hearing about that that first run that you do once you are ready to get back on skis. I mean, is there a level of almost fear in the back of your mind that of the last time you did this, you got that injury, or is that where the sports psych has kind of helped you get over that hump? So you, it's just back to work. Yeah, well, I think. The first time you get back in gates and start training the discipline that you necessarily hurt yourself, that can be not necessarily a little scary. It's kind of exciting, but you just do so much prep up until that moment. Like every time I've gotten hurt, like you do like three weeks of drills and free skiing and like baby gates. And like you basically every day, you're just building a little bit more confidence. Um, but yeah, there's something to be said about when you can't ski for nine months, you just have this newfound sense of gratitude and it's crazy how a little bit of gratitude can make 
you just feel and ski a whole lot better because you just have a bit more appreciation for it. And every time I've come back, I've definitely just been so happy and grateful to be standing in the Starkate that it's like a very freeing process to then just go down the mountain. That period then, we get to the end of 2021, you make your World Cup debut. And from there, you ultimately will qualify for Beijing, which again, we will touch on. That period though, from the World Cup to the qualification, how confident were you at that point that this was going to happen, that you were going to be able to make those Olympics? Yeah, at that point, I knew like I had I knew Australia's like criteria I knew my world rank was kind of on the bubble to like automatically qualify me but it was just a matter of like continuing to build off last season and like chip away at my world rank and get some good results but yeah after I made my debut in Solden I then went and raced Killington and to be completely honest with you now looking back on it I definitely wasn't ready for that I but the season before was like a weird COVID year where there were no norams and we like were in Europe and it was, it felt like I had missed like this crucial part in like a skiers like progression where you actually start to win races and then you go to the next level. It was like the year before COVID or like the COVID, the year COVID hit the 2020 season, I was like starting to chip away at it and I was like getting close and then COVID hit then we didn't have any like norams and that those kind of races and I was comp- still competing against the same girls. I just didn't have the wins and the podium finishes next to my name, even though I was competitive with the girls that were winning the year before. So I definitely didn't think I was ready in the moment. I thought I was, but looking back, I definitely wasn't ready to compete at the World Cup level. But I did know that if things treaded positively, that Beijing was definitely in the cards. And then I actually tore my MCL uh, in December before... Beijing and at that point I was like oh I don't know if I'll be back in time to race to solidify my spot before Beijing like it's going to come down to like whether or not I can create the own spot myself and so that was a little bit stressful I not a little bit that was nearly the most stressed and anxious I've been in my entire life just because I couldn't do anything I was trying to heal I didn't want to race too soon because like that's dangerous but it was just this whole thing. So, yeah. it's. I guess it's also one of those things where you're being told a lot of different angles from doctors and, and all that because because you're so young and you're this close to an Olympics, there's kind of that balance I can imagine. Like I, I'm this close. I can taste the Olympics there in a couple of months versus you're young, you've got another three, four Olympics in you. I, I mean, kind of what is that where it's really challenging as well, balancing the the kind of doing more damage to your body to go to one Olympics versus give up on these Olympics and focus on another five years instead of, you know, two months away? No, it definitely is. And ultimately, like, that was a big part of it for me. I was getting back on snow around end of December, beginning of January, after taking a month off. And I remember someone within the snow Australia organization told me like, well, if you feel like you can train, you can race. And I'm like, no, like I can't do that. Like it's different. Like I get it. You really want me to go and I appreciate it. That's really nice of you. But like I'm 21, I think I was 21 at the time. Like I want to be ski racing until I'm 30. Like, Mm. not like, I don't know if it's like, what's, you know, what's worth it or not. And so even then, like once I, knew more likely than not I was able to go 
we were still trying to figure out if it was the best thing for me to go because there was so much uncertainty around COVID and everyone around me was getting COVID and the thought of getting to China and testing positive for COVID, we didn't know what would happen then. Like, would I be stuck in China for four weeks? Like, and then my entire season's kind of derailed and what, like it, there was so many what ifs that it was just, to be honest with you, it was so exhausting that ultimately when I did get hurt, it was kind of freeing, which sounds horrible, but I was like, now I don't have to make any more decisions. It's just. What's well, it's fascinating. You say that because my initial question was going to be January 24, you get that email, you go into the Olympics, January 25, you do that injury must have been the hardest 24 hours or the most emotional. But I mean, kind of in what you're just saying there, it's, it's fascinating that it, or the whole lead up until that moment where you get that email. I mean, before we get to the injury, what was it like at that moment then when you got that email saying you're going to the Olympics after everything you're just touching on? Because obviously there's still so yeah. much stress in some way, even though you've achieved this childhood dream of getting an Olympic selection. Yeah, it definitely was a really interesting period of time. Um, I remember getting the email and once I finally got the email, I think I had like, I was relieved at first, well, not relieved. I was just excited. Like, and I was actually at a university race with my teammate, um, Katie Parker, who ended up going to the, the Beijing Olympics. And I remember walking into her room and I was just crying because I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm really excited that we're both going. Cause like, it was unfortunately like we were university teammates and it was her and I fighting for the Olympic spot. And so that was a bit awkward, but ultimately it was totally fine. Um, and yeah, like once I had made it and made the decision, you know what, I don't have to, it's okay. I don't have to be skiing a hundred percent right now to go and make my like 10 year old self proud. Like I can go to the Olympics and take it for what it is and knowing everything that's gone down the past six weeks. And like, that's okay. Like not, not every time you have to go and try and win, like you can go for other things too. And so I'd find by the time I had finally like come around to that thought and like, I'll just take it for what it is. And like it's a once in a lifetime experience and I've been working my butt off for years to get to this point. It's okay if it doesn't necessarily go the way I want it to go. And by the time I'd finally been like excited about it, it was like that day that I like tear my ACL. So. Damn. Yeah. Cause again, it's yeah. also that flip side of what we're just talking about in terms of, you know, risk reward, you've got future Olympics in you. There is also the flip side of that, that other things may happen and this could <laughs> be sort of that, that only thing. What, exactly happened with the injury the next day yeah i was I, I was competing at my university's like uh college their home college race and i was doing these races because the past six weeks had been very much not enjoyable and it's always very fun going and racing with the team and just a very positive environment and it was at home and it was bluebird days and it was perfect weather and yeah, I skied down and I was like five, six gates from the finish and I crashed and instantly I knew something was wrong because whenever they, whenever you crash, they ask if you hear a pop and you feel and hear a pop and I knew straight away it wasn't my first injury, so I know what that meant. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I was just sitting there kind of screaming and crying and my teammate skied down to me to be like, do you need to sled? And I was like, no, I can ski down, but like I'm not going to the Olympics anymore. Like that's over. Mm -hmm. And they're like, don't say that. You don't know. I'm like, no, I know. Like I, I, I know. Um, and so, yeah, I skied down on one ski and luckily at that race, because it was our home race for university, we had our university team doctors there and I was able to get in, drive down to Salt Lake 25 minutes away and get an MRI. And I knew within two hours or three hours of me crashing that I told my ACL, I hadn't done no other damage, needed surgery. Like, so from that perspective, 
it was really nice because I didn't have any like I didn't there was no unknowns like I knew relatively quickly what wasn't a waiting around period but yeah like there are a lot of times when people have to wait a long time to get that information and so I feel very fortunate that at least I got it relatively quick. This is only 10 days from the Olympics, isn't it? This is like less than two weeks until the opening ceremony. Yeah. It was like, I think it was a week before I was meant to fly. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's such a an interesting period then because, you know, I'm sure you've had, you've gotten the email from the AOC, you've gotten this election. I mean, I'm, you're probably on flights, you're all these kind of things. I mean, does it basically just get cancelled? Do they still give you the option to go along and kind of just almost support if you want to? Yeah, well, uh, I was when I was sitting in the doctor's table or like on the in the exam room. Obviously, that was I was like, oh yeah, so no Olympics anymore. He's like, well, you could if you wanted, like give it a week, see how much mobility you get back if it swells up at all, and like ski with a brace. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, that's stupid. Like, I'm not skiing without an ACL. I know people have done it, mm. but I'm 21 years old. And at the end of the day, it's not that important. Like, I want to be able to live a long, healthy, healthy life. And if that means I don't have to do this so I can crawl on the ground with my kids one day, then that's what it means. Um, so, I like, I was given the option to continue to, like, try and ski. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Like, I don't love that. That's, I'm good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, in terms of, going over and stuff i just wanted to get surgery as soon as i could and move on and so i actually got it was a bit ironic i got was able to get surgery the day i was meant to fly to beijing wow so instead of sitting on a plane i was sitting in a in a hospital bed but it's crazy that's kind of it's funny how the way the universe kind of works but Do you, yeah. does, it, does it put you off wanting to watch them or are you still tuning in to to see, you know, Kate and um, Greta and people I, like yeah. that compete? I, I I watched. I stayed, weirdly enough, there was two of my friends who were also in town. They had also done their ACLs at some point in that season. So we had an ACL watching party at my house. We made dinner and then watched the Olympics because I think... <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, that I sounds... It's, it's very no, sad. No, it's like kind of... It, you can laugh. It's funny. <laughs> but we, we sat around and we watched. Um, sounds like the funnest, but, saddest party at the same time. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So we made some good dinner though. Good ice cream. Oh, yeah? So it's good. Yeah. Right. Sounds, sounds like a good way to watch the Olympics. Which I mean, does yeah. it motivate you though? Like are you sitting there and you're kind of looking at each other going like, wow, look at us. Four years time, Italy. I think this is going to be a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't even know. I think at that point, well, it's not that I don't know. I do know that at that point I was very much like I had to like kind of disassociate with like the ski racing identity of myself. Like I didn't know if I wanted to, like the past six months had been so stressful and like things didn't necessarily go my way um, that I was like, oh, if this is what it's going to be, like this is really hard. And I had just gone from another factor to that is like I had gone from being on this private team and then I was by myself because Australia doesn't have a national team. And so I was traveling the world by myself with my coaches and I'm quite a social person. So learning to navigate just being solo was so hard. And I remember sitting there being like, if this is what it takes or if this is how it has to be for me to get to that level, like, I don't know if I can do it. Like, I just don't know if it's that enjoyable. So, yeah, when the Olympics were going around at that point, I was just watching as a cheerleader. And to be honest with you, I didn't even like, I was never in the gym being like, I'm doing this to like be a better skier. I was like, I'm doing this so I can do the things I want to do. <laughs> and so 
it was like, I gave myself all these other goals for that rehab. Like I, I wanted to ride a hundred mile bike race and I wanted to lift certain weights in the gym just because I wanted to lift them. And I was kind of changed my mindset into like, okay, I'm going to do all the things that makes me happy and healthy. And a byproduct of that is that I'll be able to ski, but I'm having like the, I'm doing it for ski racing mentality just wasn't going to, I think I had used that, used those lives up. So I needed to find a different, a different mode or just a different way to look at it. So when does that return then? When does that sort of return that you go, okay, I'm ready to give this another crack because you ultimately do, you've achieved some amazing results since that. So uh, like at what point we go, let's, let's do this again. Yeah, I was, I, well, I had always knew that I was like going to get back on snow. That wasn't, it was more, I was just kind of killing the time mentally to like get me to that point. But yeah, I got back on snow in October or November. So I waited nine months after and my goals for that season, which was last year was like, okay, I want to, I want to be able to say comfortably at the end of the season that I'm a good skier because through the whole process of everything, like I really lost my confidence in myself and I just wanted to fall back in love with the sport. And so when people, a lot of people were like, why aren't you racing in Europe last year or going to world champs and doing all this stuff? And I was like, I'm taking a season to myself and like, I'm going to race close to home and race an RM circuit. Like I want to win some races and I want to just like chip away at it. So that like, like, and if that's, if I come out of that year and I hate it, then okay. Writing's on the wall. Like my skiing, I need to walk away, but like, I don't think that would be the case. And it wasn't. So it kind of was like, a lot of people might've been like, Oh, she took a step back, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was like, I needed to take a step back in order to actually try and take steps forward in the future. So and it's working. That's what it, did. it seems to be working. Yeah. You said successes on the Norams are touched on in the intro, the NCAA success as well. And recently in Finland, you became the first Australian woman to score World Cup points in slalom in over 20 years since Queen Zali scored that 25th place you got in Finland. I mean, what was that achievement like? And, and were you aware that this was something that Australian women hadn't done in, in two decades since Zali Stegel achieved that all those years ago? Yeah, I definitely knew that no one had scored points in a while. But, and to be completely honest with you, like my entire goal for the season was to score points once. And to do it in the first race is like, wow, we did that. That was weird. And especially considering it wasn't necessarily my best showing of my own skiing. It was just like highlighted to me and my coaches like, okay, like normal's enough. Like normal can be competitive and we kind of have to back that. And it was really lovely having Lydia Lassler at the finish and she was there. My dad actually flew over to watch, which was also really nice. But just having enough Aussie in the finish and hearing it's just like refreshing. She lives in Finland, doesn't she too? So I guess yeah, it wasn't ran, too far. I like, yeah, I was like, uh, you live here? Like kind of random. We are so far north, like randomest place in the world. <laughs> Great ski race. It was really pretty. But yeah, so it was, she t- when I had crossed the finish line on the second round and we were doing a little interview, she um, she was like, so how does it feel to be the first like person to score points in 20 years? It's like, wow, like I don't think I actually... Like I didn't think that didn't cross my mind like up until that point that I would be that person. I was just trying to do it for myself, you know. Mm, wow. Well, did did Zali reach out to you? Did Zali sort of send you a message and congratulate you? I haven't heard from Zali, but I don't blame her. She's busy doing. She's, she's all kind her, of got a bit of a career she's going like, on right she's now. She's definitely she? going with all of the counts, like all of the like 
politics stuff. So yeah, I don't blame her. But yeah, maybe one day when I'm back in Oz, I can catch up with her or something. Is she a bit of an inspiration for for yourself and all sort of female alpine skiers in Australia to see what she obviously achieved still to this day, uh, Australia's only ever alpine skiing medalist at the Olympics, yeah, I should I, say. I, yeah, I definitely, like... She's definitely like given me the outlook or I've definitely been able to be like, you know what, like if someone's done it, like it's doable, it's not impossible. And you could argue that it's like more accessible. Like, I don't know, there's so many things that are different between now and what it was in 1998 in just terms of like being able to communicate with people at home more often. Like there was just so many different things. And so, yeah, I, it's definitely in the back of my mind, I was like, it's doable. Someone's done it. Like you can do it too. Also, maybe transition to politics after uh, your skiing career. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I have that in me, but um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Never say never when never it know. when it when it comes yeah. when it comes to that. Uh, we'll, we'll close out just a moment, Maddie, with some fun get to know you style questions. But before we do, just a couple of things I wanted to find out from you. Obviously, at the time of recording this interview, we've had the announcement from the IOC recently that Salt Lake City preferred candidate for the olympics in 2034 which let's be honest they've got it they did that with brisbane they got the olympics so we know that's going there what's does that kind of like i mean you'll be 34 in 2034 not to age you but like it's that's still to me good skiing age just younger than i am right now and you know still going strong so that would be i guess the closest to a home olympics you could probably ever get until australia maybe gets a a couple of better uh, chances at it i mean does that sort of give a bit of a motivation for a long-term career towards a salt lake olympics it's definitely, you know, I would have loved it if they got the 2030 Olympics mm. because I definitely, because at that point I'll still be 29. And so if they got the 2030 Olympics, like I'll keep chugging. Like, should that have had is, it, but you know, that's another Should have story. had it, but yeah. just because of LA, whatever. Not, I'm not salty about it at all. Um, <laughs> Thanks LA. <laughs> but yeah, it's, they're definitely going to get it. And they've been doing so many crazy improvements to the Valley in general, like the Salt Lake area. And if, you know, there are people still skiing now at 33, 34, and they're doing great. Like Federica Brignone, she just won two back-to-back GS World Cups, and she's the oldest woman to do it at 33. Like, I know it's not impossible. Do I think I can make it to 2034? We'll have to wait and see. If I'm making a living and I'm doing great and I'm competitive, then, yeah, I'll keep going. Mainly also because that is my backyard. It's been my home since I was 13. So that would be really cool. But we'll see. Scary things are funny, funny things. So I just, I find this is the one byproduct of the IOC doing these long term Olympics. And I find it, say, particularly like with our summer guests with Brisbane on the horizon, because obviously there's usually a seven year cycle between the Olympics. But the fact that, say, Brisbane gets announced, you know, we're we're, we're now what, nine years away from an Olympics here. Like, how does that, you know, make it harder or more motivated that you want to keep going longer because there's that prospect? And I guess. For you, again, Salt Lake. I mean, I, I love Salt Lake City. It's a beautiful city. I remember when I went there and just basically geeked out at all the facilities from 2002 because it's one of my favorite Olympics I ever remember experiencing. So um, I, I can't wait. I think they're a great city and they're going to put on another great show just like they did in 2002. Yeah, I think they'll do a great job. And they're really, like, the, like the new airport is like absolutely amazing. They've like created all these new training venues and like competition venues and it's also one of the few places where like everything they used in the 2002 Olympics is still being used today. So like they don't actually have to do that much work really yeah. to like, it's, it's that, it'll be really, it'll be really lovely. And the people of Utah like are really wanting it to like, everyone's stoked. 
that adds to the excitement where I think not sometimes the Olympics are in places people don't want them like Paris. <laughs> yeah. I, I the, 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 My favorite memory of Salt Lake is I was with a friend and I was like, like, take me to where the Olympics were like, you know, geeking out to like, he's here, he's here. We went and watched a jazz game and I'm, I'm like, oh, cool jazz. But like, this is where Stephen Bradbury won gold medal. Let's celebrate that. Mm. I was like, take me to the stadium. So we go to the University of Utah, not realizing that the stadium was a university stadium, being naive Australian, thinking they couldn't have an Olympics at a university. And there it is. And I'm just like, wow, okay, this is a stadium and it's a school stadium. Yeah. And that's your university, of course. Yeah. So that like in the back of my mind, I'm like, if I can, if I'm still healthy and happy and loving ski racing, it would be really cool. Cause like, yeah, Salt Park City, Salt Lake, that's my backyard. We would race on the hill that I've been skiing on since I'm 10. Um, and the opening ceremony would be where I go watch the football games on, go in Utes. the fall. Go Utes, go Utes. But, yep. you know, so it would be really cool. But at this point, I'm just trying to make it through this year. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's two other the Olympics to go. And then the year after. Yeah. And then <laughs> sort of uh, go that yeah. way. Now, before I close out with these questions, you're actually, uh, you get to be a bit of a, a history maker on this show, Maddie, I will say, because you are our first guest on this program since we introduced a mascot for this show. We have a, a an off-the-podium mascot called Cherry, and I, I want to introduce you to Cherry right now. This is Cherry. This is our, oh, uh, nice. our lovely... Now, I, I mean, I've probably given away what he is by the name of him. Can you he's guess? A he, he's, a, he's a chair. Thank you. Yes, I should maybe not lead with that. But um, look, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can draw inspiration. He's, he's got a bit of a bung leg. There's a story behind that. But you've gone through a lot of adversity with your injuries and everything along those lines. So perhaps, you know, you can use Cherry for inspiration now moving forward. I mean, do you think he could help you out maybe a little bit? Yeah, he looks happy. He's got a medal in hand and he does. bandaged him up. So I think he's great in sport. And, he's, and his dual nationality is Canadian and exactly. Australian. So, you know, he, he helps out there. So there you go. I tell you, if we get, we get some smaller ones of these made and maybe not so flimsy, we can send you one and you can have him as like a good luck charm perhaps. How does that yeah, sound? Yeah, nice. That would be sick, yeah. There you go. All right, there you go, Cherry. Look at that. Inspirational. You've been, you've been introduced now to our guests. You've been guests. useful. <laughs> you've been useful, Cherry, exactly. You not just get thrown yeah. around the room. So there you go. I'm glad. That, that's, a, that's a good start to the Cherry uh, question here on our, off mm -hmm. the podium. Speaking of questions, we close it out with a set of fun get-to-know-you-style questions. Now, as always, these were questions that were asked to Canadian athletes ahead of both the Pyeongchang and the Rio Olympics and basically there are a variety of different questions. I never know what they are. They're usually a standard set, but they alternate them. There is the option to draw. I don't know how you are at drawing. I know you're good at Sudoku and I know you're good at journaling. So I don't know how you, how are your drawing skills? Not good. Really Not bad good. actually. Okay. That's one thing I wish I could do. Be more artsy, but that's okay. You can't do everything. Excuse life. for practice though, Maddie, if you want to use this exactly. uh, skill yeah. uh, between when we air this and after we stop recording this. So the options are, if you want to, you can send them in and we can put them on social media. Uh, there's draw a picture of yourself. Uh, there's draw a place from your hometown or province, or obviously in our case, mm -hmm. a state. And usually it is uh, draw a picture of a Canadian animal. So you can obviously do that with an Australian animal. Although this one, it just says draw a picture of your favorite animal. So okay. they've changed that up. So again, it's up to you. I know you, you've got a few little races to go between now and the end of the mm. year. Just a couple of World Cups, you know, maybe a yeah, bit Just busy. a couple. Just a couple. So uh, potentially <laughs> might not have the time, but it's out there. Let's start up right now. Your favorite Olympic moment is? I think um, my favorite Olympic moment was 
because mm, it's kind of random one because it's gymnastics but there was this girl u.s girl her name's jade carey and lost oh. summer olympics she was like po- posed to win gold medal and on the vault uh after simone kind of withdrew herself from the competition and everyone's like oh jade has it locked up and she fell and she didn't win and she got eighth or something and then the next day she came back and she won the gold medal on the floor exercise and so to me that was really cool just shows that like every day is a new day and yeah you can have bad days but you don't have to kind of let them define you and she just like had the resilience to bounce back and that was really cool to see great answer I love a I love a good answer like that gives you a bit of inspiration so uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate that I um I just I always have to take a moment every time I'm talking to any female alpine skier to talk about Estelle Decker and like how inspirational oh that one too yeah, 20, yeah, yeah I mean I am wearing an Estelle Decker t-shirt just to you know yeah, nice. show it yeah. out there as well so um do, do you do you get like when you're competing against people like her and obviously like Michaela Schifrin Schifrin obviously like you know these great you know you're talking goats and the thing like does that inspire or are they just a competitor? Like I've got to beat them, you know, I don't need to look up to people like that. I think, yeah, no, they definitely do inspire. There are a lot of things you can like, obviously they're the best in the world for a reason. You can take a lot of things from what they do and what their team does to get them to where they are. But for me, I, one thing that I'm kind of focusing on this year when I'm at the world cups and stuff is to actually keep my head down. Cause quite easily I found in the past when I was doing them, I would look up and, I would feel like I was observing them racing and then I was just trying to go. Um, And I like kind of would psych myself out. Like I didn't really count myself in the same fight as them. And yeah, they're the best in the world, but ultimately like I'm also trying to compete against them too. So that's been my thing this season is just put my music on, keep my head down. Like don't necessarily look up at everyone else and what they're doing. Just like focus on me and my skiing and then the results will kind of follow. So Yeah. What's what's the it's music? Like, what's the pump up music you're listening to? Oh, uh, I have a bit of a rogue playlist. It's everything from like Tones and I to like the song You Raise Me Up, um, to some like musical theater. Some yeah, it's really random. I can't, it's I can't let that go. What musical now you're just opening up a can of worms here, Maddie. What musical theater are we <laughs> well, listening to? Oh, there's some Hamilton in there, yeah, there's some okay. Dear Hansen, you know, you gotta have the wicked in there. You yeah. know, it's just a bit of everything. Oh, but... I mean I like this. I like that's that's very yeah. diverse. I was not expecting yeah. different tones and I through to Hamilton. So Yeah. There's some Macklemore in there. You gotta have anything that I know the words to are in there so I can distract myself. Nice. Are you you're not allowed yeah. to obviously keep them? are you allowed to keep them in, in the helmet? No. Damn, that would be fun, wouldn't it? So you wear little, <laughs> wear your earpods, and then basically I pull them out when I'm like three or four people from the start, and I hand them to my coach. And can I'm you like, get disqualified for that though? Like if you forget? I think you can, yeah. Because I guess I technically you could have a coach or something in your ear, right? Like I'm sure there's. Probably... Yeah, like someone could be. I don't know if this would help or not help, but someone could like be telling you your splits, or like if you're winning mm. the race by a lot first run, and they're like, "Okay, you're still winning." Like you could back off, or I don't know, you could yeah. do a lot of things. But... Interesting. Yeah. It'd be fun though. I'm sure you could. That would be fun to be able to go down the hill with some Hamilton in the ear, and you know, yeah, just be like, ah, oh, yeah, it'd be good. Yeah. But, you know, I just ice <laughs> ski instead. That that just beforehand that was. If you could have uh, any superpower, what would it be? Um, time travel. Mm. Oh no, not time travel. Yeah, I guess maybe like the ability, to just like there's just so much travel I have to do that if I didn't have to like get on a plane, teleportation. 
Just teleportation. That's what it is. Yeah. Boom. Time travel would be fun too. But, um, don't yeah, get me time wrong. travel would be fun. But yeah. But would you teleportation. Just, the thing with time travel though, like future or past, like what would you do? Because like future would be cool, but then also well, how much do you want to know about your future? And the past, like, well, what if you fuck something up? Then all of a sudden, like, I don't know. You, yeah, I like, think if I were to time travel, I would have to go beyond my own life. So mm. either way future or way in the past great answer there you go like a thousand years into the future like you know Mm -hmm. you're not going to bump into yourself by then so yeah that's clever i like that your favorite sports movie is oh i don't know if i have a favorite sports movie but recently my favorite sports tv show was there was a tennis breakpoint tennis show Mm -hmm. that netflix did um i liked watching the matildas to, uh, Disney Plus show going into the World Cup at home. Were you here um, for the World Cup? I was in training in New Zealand. Damn. So I was basically there. Were yeah, you, were you there? Was, well, did you see any games in New Zealand though? Did you get to go to any of them? I did there? not, unfortunately. No. My, my family was there and they got to go watch them, but I was training. Mm, were, you, were you hooked to it though? Like every, every waking oh, yeah, moment? Oh, yeah, for sure. We were diehard fans, yeah. Fantastic. Good to good to see. Uh, your funniest childhood memory is. Um. Oh, I don't know. Uh. Maybe when I, me and my, so like when you were ski racing in Australia at a young age, you raced in a, te- in a team, and so me and my teammates, we were racing in Falls Creek, and we had all gone out for dinner, and it was like absolutely pouring rain. And they had the stage still set up in the village square from when the presentation was. And so we all got up, me and my teammates, our parents, our siblings were all on the stage screaming, living on a prayer that was blasting in the village centre. And we did like a little performance. So that was pretty fun. Great. As you should. Why not? Yeah, as you should. Why Sta- not? Standard song movie? to just yeah, get out there. Yeah, good song. Is that on the playlist yeah. at all by any chance? Um. Or- Maybe, maybe should deep be. down there because the playlist is quite long at this point, but yeah, That's I okay. should add it. That's good. He, here's, yeah. a, here's a question without notice. Do you have any meatloaf on the playlist? Do you know I any, don't. do you know any meatloaf songs? No, I don't. I was going to say, this is where I was going to say, this is where it, uh, you know, you talk to people of a certain age now and I realize that meatloaf isn't really a thing. We have a random question now where we ask what your favorite meatloaf song is. And yeah, okay. might fall flat. I don't know what it around. is. Yes. <laughs> uh, have you ever heard the song Bad Out of Hell, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Meatloaf. There you go. Oh, uh, nice. Yes. Uh, have you ever seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show? He's he's in that. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to move on, otherwise I sound really old right now. Uh, we've kind of answered the next two questions, to be honest. I mean, we've, we've just talked about music right now. Favourite pump-up song, and then we've got the most recent TV show that you binge-watched. I mean, we kind of covered two aspects of that. So was there another yeah. non-sports one that you've binge watched at all recently? Um, Yeah. the There's one on Netflix right now, All the Light You Cannot See. Okay. What's that one about? It, it is about like, a, it's like a World War II movie. It's like a movie TV show. Like each episode is like a hundred, I mean, a minute, an hour long, Um, basically about this blind girl who is helping the Americans find this town of St. Malo in Germany. And it's really, really good. It sounds, yeah, it's so good. We'll add it to the list. There's, there's always very, a list growing. Good, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, as you get, you know, suggestions on this show, it always kind of works. Uh, your yeah. least favorite foods are? Um, my least favorite foods. Anything really, really soggy. 
Not a soggy wheat bix girl. <laughs> like I do love wheat bix and I, I guess I will eat them when they're soggy, but like everything tastes tastes better crunchy. Um and then I hate black licorice. Ah, uh, so gross. gross. Okay. Also, you answer red my... licorice. So good. So the crunchy peanut butter, they're not smooth. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, crunchy peanut butter. Yeah. Red licorice. Okay. Good. Um. Yeah. I. I that's the first I've heard for a soggy answer. I like that. That's a. It's an interesting element when you talk about certain textures of food, right? Like I hate yogurt with chunks in it. Something about that makes me gag. Yeah. I don't, I yeah. can't understand it, but it's just something. I know people who don't like bananas because of the texture of a banana. Yeah, like if a banana, I would rather a banana be like way too not ripe and like fluoro green and like a little. So you like it really hard. I'm the opposite. I don't, I can't stand it when a banana is really hard. Like it just, there's something that's yeah. off putting. So that, fascinating. Yeah. God, we could yeah. get some really good psychological questions on this show. We could really yeah. get to the, uh, the bottom of it. If you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Um, I, oh, I don't know. I feel like I would always, I would maybe not necessarily be trying to be a professional athlete, but I feel like I would always be doing something regarding sport. Um, I don't know what I would be. I want to ask you on I that, would, on that level though, something to do with mentoring. Cause I, I read here, you've got your own business mentoring with Mads and Katie. Yeah. So I definitely, but that I kind of has to do with the fact that I was an athlete, like, am an athlete. So I don't know. I think it'd be cool to like have a really hip restaurant maybe, or <laughs> I don't know. Some I've always really loved doing Pilates, maybe be a Pilates instructor or do become a physio or I don't know, something that has stemmed in movement or health, whichever way that could be. Maybe a sports psych. That, that that could work. Is is the mentoring so that's you and and Katie basically mentoring athletes? Is it? Is that kind of what it yeah, is? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's yes. It sounds what it is. Yeah. We just help out with. There's a lot of things that as an Australian in ski racing that you have a lot of more, a lot more hurdles you have to overcome in terms of like just like how to do school on the road or like where do you you kind of have to leave Australia at some point like a bunch of things so. Yeah, trying to share the insights we've learned so people don't have to learn from it. They can learn from our mistakes and not make them themselves. And I can imagine that's also not just selective for skiing because there are plenty of sports that Australians have to leave Australia for to face the big wide world where they don't yeah. have those resources, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Fascinating. I like that. Your favourite vacation spot is? Uh, anywhere with a beach. Ah, you're around snow so much, so... You know. Yeah, if I could just go home and it'd be beautiful weather and sunny and warm and there'd be a beach, I'd be so happy and, like, had to travel skiing. Have you been hearing what the weather's been like in Sydney in the last week? 44 degrees last Saturday, 40 yeah. this week as well. Like I heard it's hot. Yeah. yeah. I'm from Tasmania originally, Maddie, so I do not handle it very well. So uh, I, I, I have an air conditioner and that's my friend. So that's, that's yeah, all we can I say know. there. If you could be an Olympian in any other sport other than your own, what would it be? Um, either four hundred meter running. Oh, specific! I like or, it. Yeah, or gymnastics. Um, yeah, maybe those two. It works. Summer again. We 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 like it. We we yeah, you know. Summer, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like ah, oh, the winter. Now I'm good. I yeah, nah, you, you you get away from maybe the snow. Beach, maybe beach volleyball. That would be sick. On a beach. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. That works. All right, last question for you, Maddie, and you can interpret this however you want to. Your guilty pleasure. What is your guilty pleasure? Um, I I don't know if it's guilty, but it's just a pleasure that I like to make yeah like a good meal and whether it's brunch or dinner and just sit around my friends and chat and play board games instead of like going out <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest like we a all grandma do. <laughs> like, <laughs> i'm just low-key a grandma it's it, okay it's one of these things where it's like people are like oh i love doing this i love doing that but if we all had to choose we're just like oh, fuck, i just I just want to stay home and sit in the couch just- and I'll just like have a nice home cooked meal and eat, play some board games. Chill and just like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Deep down, deep down. Maddie, I already tagged it at the top of the show, maddiehoffman.com, obviously the, the website. Social media, anywhere else people can follow you. The mentoring business, where can people get into, yeah. get involved in that? Yeah, you can find obviously the mentoring business through my website that you've linked, but I'm just on Instagram. So at maddiehoffman underscore, I think is my Instagram handle, but. I should probably know that, but yeah. <laughs> it will be tagged on uh, on this post, yeah. of course, on Instagram for people who are listening. But Maddie, this has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate your honesty. Very, uh, really raw and personal learning all about that experience and really love to hear that on this show. So thank you for that. And we wish you best of luck moving forward for Milan, for for the French Alps, and then Salt Lake. I'm saying now, 2034, you're there. Come on, you'll be yeah. two-time we'll be gold medalist, Maddie Hoffman, by then. You're going for three in a row by then. Yeah, you know, dream big, exactly. Incredible chat there with Maddie, and thank you so much for your time, Maddie, for joining me and everybody here on Off the Podium today. If you want to see the video version of that interview, of course, as always, you can head to our YouTube channel and maddiehoffman.com. Check it out. It is a great website, but just an incredible insight to learn from how an injury she she kind of almost thankful for that injury i'm not saying she wanted to get injured but how as she said in that interview it was a bit of a relief to kind of get that injury so obviously a very uh emotionally uh interesting 24 hours from getting selected for the olympics to then straight away knowing when you hear that pop that you're done you're not going to the olympics but Plenty of Olympics still to come, obviously, for Maddie. Still only 23 years old. So Milan on the horizon in just over three years' time. Can you believe it? Crazy to think that we're uh, already thinking about a Winter Olympics, particularly when we're only seven months away from our next Summer Olympics. But uh, obviously, we wish Maddie all the all the luck in the world going towards those Olympics, and I'm sure we will follow her journey closely and get her back on the show too. As I said, a couple of gold medals around her neck by the time that she... Uh, competes in a home Olympics in Salt Lake City in 2034. Great to see them getting the Olympics again, as I said in that interview, and we said last week a little bit on our Sarajevo opening ceremony review episode, which you can check out right now, of course, uh, Salt Lake Olympics in 2002, one of my favorites. So uh, great to see them hosting those Olympics again in what will be uh, 11 years' time or nearly 10 years' time. How time flies when you're having fun and that means that of course that time will fly in the next week because we've got another interview to go one more to go for the year one more in a non-olympic year i can say that i can say that one more episode one more interview to go and then after that we're into an olympic year a double olympic year technically because of course we've got a youth olympics that we're going to be covering and that will be on in about a month's time but next week 
We have got a great chat with you. We're going to the sport of Taekwondo. Only a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Stacey Heimer, of course, about Taekwondo. It had been a while since we had a Taekwondo athlete on the show. But uh, from one to another, to a very prominent Aussie, a real medal chance in Paris next year. Leon Saranovic, he is a bronze medalist at the World Championships that we talked about with Stacey only a couple of weeks ago, fresh off winning a bronze at the World Taekwondo Championships. Leon's going to chat to us about his career, about that bronze medal and hopes of Paris, whether we can break what will be a 24-year drought in the sport of Taekwondo next year. Haven't won any medals in the sport, of course, since the Sydney Olympics. So we we're going to chat to Leon about that. That's a great chat. You're going to get a lot out of that. And then that that's it for 2023. But we'll be back the following week, at least, straight into more chats, more interviews. We're not just going to go away. We don't have breaks here and off the podium. We like to bring you content. But a lot of great chats to come in the coming months. We'll have a couple more for you at the beginning of January. And then after that, as we keep alluding to, we're going to Gangwon in Korea for the Youth Winter Olympics, our very first time covering the Youth Olympics. So I'm very excited for this. Very pumped. I have always enjoyed the Youth Olympics. Obviously, we touched on a little bit in this interview with Maddie about the Youth Olympics. So very much looking forward to chatting about them. And as I said to Jared and Colin last week, it is an event that I do generally follow every single four years because it's always an Olympics. I will always get involved in the Olympics no matter what. And be it a, a, I don't want to say the normal Olympics, the senior Olympics, the full Olympics, the non-youth Olympics. But also it will be a little bit more fascinating to watch now, not knowing that there kind of is a two-year period where you kind of are ineligible for it. So that's, I, I feel that's unfair. I feel like we need to, we need to call up Thomas and uh, have a bit of a chat to him about that. Because I don't think that uh, is something that should be allowed. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few weeks time when we go to Korea to talk about that. We'll have a best of for you in a few weeks as well as we get to our 350th episode. So very excited for that to happen as well. And then more interviews. We've got, of course, more opening ceremony coverage from past Olympics and ramping up the coverage. We've got so much to come in 2024. We've got some planned new things to come your way, which we're so pumped to be able to bring to you, to be able to give you something just a little bit different, a bit more exciting, give you some more content, some new people joining the show even on that way as well. So lots of things to look forward to. Cherry, He's around. We love him. We've got an athlete approval for Cherry right now. So keep an eye on that. We've got some great things planned for Cherry next year and just so much to come ahead of the Paris Olympics, of course, in July. I'll be there. I'll be on the ground in Paris. I cannot wait. I'm so excited to experience it in person. I'll be very busy during those Olympics, but that's how I want it to be because I want to soak up every single aspect of those Olympics and not only fanboy out, but just completely take in everything to do with the Olympic Games. So we'll have some pretty good coverage here on the show, whether or not it involves me a lot, or at least I'll be some sort of correspondent on the ground while Colin, Jared and the crew cover it from their respective parts of the world. So stay tuned for Off the Podium. We've got so much coming your way. Follow us on all the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're on all of them, YouTube. Get on board, jump on board, follow us, get out there, get on board off the podium and you'll have a great year next year in an Olympic year because we're all getting very much pumped for that to come down your way. Thanks again to Maddie for joining us on the show. Subscribe to the show as well to never miss an episode. Put a sock in that mountain. You took the words right out of my mouth. Birmingham ball, go left, all of those some things. And I will say, because this will be the last episode that does air before Christmas, if you do celebrate it, Merry Christmas. Have a great time. Eat all the food you can. Spend time with your family and get Olympic because it's the last Christmas you're going to be able to spend until the next Olympics. 
So have a festive Olympic Christmas. That's my final word before Christmas. Thanks for listening to Off the Podium. My name is Ben. We'll speak to you next time. When the stars make it through Just like pasta flies through That's amore That's amore When you dance down the street With the cloud at your feet You're in love When you walk in a dream But you know you're not dreaming, senor. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's so.